Hello and welcome to the final episode of The Clever Kids. Uh, This is a weekly podcast where three brothers take a look at a topic from popular culture that you may or may not care about. My name is Tyler. You got Brian here. And you've got Jeff. And I say final because, again, in the new year, I will be rebranding the podcast as The Mighty Rewind. Uh, We're still going to be coming every week, whether you want us to or not. That sounded like a weird sex thing, but you know what? I'm going to stand by it. Hide your Um, kids. Hide your wife. Mighty Rewind's coming. Is this episode 100, by the way? It is 100. I was about to say that. Hey, centennial celebration. Didn't even plan that. Uh, Just gave Clever Kids a 100 episode limit on accident and uh we're gonna start uh yeah i'm just gonna call basically i'm just gonna group this all in a season one and then uh we're gonna have the mighty rewind start as season two episode one so that's how it's gonna work out in 100 Um, episodes later stay tuned we haven't figured that out yet yeah that's exactly right um so this week we're gonna be talking about four christmases this is a movie from 2008 directed by seth gordon Written by Matt Allen, Caleb Wilson, and John Lucas. Starring Reese Witherspoon, Vince Vaughn, Mary Steenburgen, Robert Duvall, John Voight, John Favreau, Tim McGraw's in there. Kristen Chenoweth was in there. There's a lot of names in this movie. Um, let's talk about it. Oh, one thing I did want to point check here. Uh, this movie had an $80 million re- budget. That's like the reported budget on this film. Got to be that's- all salaries for the actors you think so i mean other than that they just shot scenes in houses like crazy right yeah it seems like a lot it seems like really really i mean you just named a lot of big name actors and actresses yeah but for the most part i mean this movie is a series of vignettes right it's four vignettes you you go into a house and then they tell almost an entirely fully enclosed story in that house right so it sort of feels like a um like a series of sketches with these characters in them. Um, so anyway, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if you're giving if Robert Duvall got that much for what's essentially a glorified cameo. You well, know you can I mean? say the same thing about John Boyd. I just <laughs> get a sense that those people. Oh, for sure. I'd say commanded. that about Mary, all of them, really. Yeah, I mean, all all yeah. four parents in this film. Fun fact number one, hitting with you early, is that all four parents in this film are Oscar winners: Robert Duvall, Sissy Spacek. John Voight and Mary Steenburgen. Fascinating. That was Sissy Spacek. Wait, what is Mary Steenburgen? What did she win an Academy Award for? Melvin and Howard in 1980. Oh, that classic. <laughs> I've never heard of. Um, I do want to say, 80 million is the budget is the budget of this film, right? That's the production budget, reported production budget. It, you know, give or take a couple of grand. Um, Typically, for a movie to break even, it has to double the budget because you take double the budget and that accounts for marketing costs, right? That's the general rule of thumb. It's not one-to-one for every movie, but that's the general rule of thumb. This movie made $120 million in the U.S. uh, and gross worldwide 164 so they made only 4 million off the top of it which isn't bad but it's not great is it it wouldn't have made the movie if they knew that that's all they were going to get no that's not a good return on investment because again it's like 
maybe for this one, they were like, oh, we're going into the holiday season. Let's give it a bigger marketing budget. Let's increase it by $4 million. So they well, I mean, may have lost money on this. At, at this day and age, at the time that these movies were being made, was really in that kind of peak of that DVD market. Like streaming hadn't really taken off yet. And so much of this money was seen kind of after those. I mean, 2008? I guess you're still in the blockbuster Redbox era, aren't you? It's a good point. I was I was going to Redbox in 2008, 2009, like when I, you know, going into college and stuff, I would right. go and rent movies. So you're right. You're right. They probably did still recoup revenue off of that. But you, you, you really see a lot of that money come from their box office returns. And this is not. That's not a very solid box office return. Brian, does the Rotten Tomatoes reflect anything there? Is that uh, are we seeing? very, very negative in Rotten Tomatoes? I'll get into that in a second. I was, I was going to point out that I think there's an inherent value to making holiday movies um, in that every year around this time, people are looking for this type of movie to watch. And therefore, there's a lot of replayability. I know now it just gets put on some streaming service and you know, I don't really know how that works from a business model standpoint, like how much, you know, that continues to generate revenue for them. But so like I guess the, they, they get paid to have it on the platform. But Quick, quick, quick example of how that works. Netflix will work out a deal with the studio and they'll be like, we'll give you this much money. What movies will you give us for that? And so they'll be like, for this much, you can get these top tier movies that have like that are going to get people in onto your streaming mm -hmm. service watching movies and then you can get these sort of middle run movies that are going to get you know this you know this demographic or whatever right and then you can have these like shit movies for people like us who are just going to watch whatever <laughs> whatever floats our boat in that moment right so um yeah so that's genuinely how it works so they give them like a lump sum and then they're able to run those movies for a certain period of time Does that make so sense? so they're getting some kind of return value on it still and i will say i wonder if there's anything about views that factor into like you know the next bargaining agreement that they come up with to get movies on there but like i could see this receiving an uptick every year around this time because of the theme is christmas and christmas i would argue almost more than any other holiday is the one where people go looking for the theme like to consume it in their music. That's why Mariah Carey's popular every time, you know, oh every year gosh, around this time. Did you hear she run like, she, she broke like a, the record for most single day streams for exactly. the all I want I'm for sure. Christmas is you or something like that. It's, like by a yeah. lot, she right. broke it by a there's lot. There's just, there's just so much replayability because people get so hyped on Christmas. And I think, you Crazy. know, that alone probably has some long-term return value that isn't reflected in that initial gross. There's also a very specific demographic that we're not talking about right now. And that is our mom, because Jeff and I were talking to our mom on Christmas about this. And she was just talking, she does, she loves Vince Vaughn so much. She yeah, thinks he's, he's great. so funny. She just like will not stop talking about him. And she loves Reese Witherspoon. So it's just like, this movie is right up her alley. Cause she's also a big fan of Christmas. So yeah. Um, shout out to you, mom. And I, I gotta say this: this is my go-to movie every year, and any Christmas is movie. It? This is the this is the one I love watching every year around this time. I, like wow. I, that's why I'm speaking from experience, because I am a part of that you know audience that every year I'm like Christmas movie for Christmases, baby. Let's go. I did know you liked this movie. I don't think I knew that you were an annual watcher. I've probably watched it every year since I saw it the first time. That is so interesting. All right. Well. How do we want to go into this? I mean, this is this movie is from 2008. 
it's not really spoilable. It's not the kind of movie that no. has like a twist ending. So no. do we want to just go full spoilers right off the top? Sure. Uh, yeah, let's go right in. Cool. Um, let's just quickly go around. Jeff, I think you like this movie. I Brian, do. We know you like this movie. I think it's fine. I like as far as like a rom-com Christmas movie goes, like this, well, is, this is fine I'll, for me. I'll like, say this. I like it. I'll say this, the tomato meter and the audience score, neither of them agree with us because uh, tomato meter bombed this movie at 25%. That's the critic, <laughs> that's the critic score. And the audience score was 47%. So, um, wow. You know, with little spilled popcorn icon next to it. That is uh, brutal, man. The, the general consensus was despite a strong cast, this sour holiday comedy suffers from a hackneyed script. What is hackneyed about it? I don't I mean, know. I just, thought it was fine. It's funny it's what, as hell. This is what kind of rom... Well, so they're probably talking about like the story is... There's nothing new to it, right? And I I don't disagree with that. That's probably why in my head it's just a fine... You know, it's a fine movie. But like... What movie you does this should, emulate? Uh, it does... It's I kind of get where it, it's... It's kind of like a Scrooge... Uh, not... Uh, it's yeah, I guess is it Scrooge storyline? Yeah, Scrooge where he Christ- gets visited Christmas, by the three ghosts or whatever. Christmas Carol. Yeah. Uh yeah, 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 where it's like he's sour mm-hmm. on the holiday, sour on tradition and family or whatever and then through a series of experiences comes around to uh, you know, be more in the spirit. Damn, that is such a solid read on this movie that I that is blowing my mind right now. <laughs> so I'll I'm say like, from a very wow, high level, that is deep, but that is correct. Like I mean, that is what it is, right? Like that, it is sort of the the story of a Christmas Carol. Yeah, wow. I'll say it from a very high level. Yes, it is the same <laughs> template, but that's fine. I'd say most movies fall into a, a couple of templates, and this this one I think is a fun modern spinoff on that storyline, which is like. It's not just uh, like Christmas that they're negative on. It's the institution of marriage. Like they, they have very relatable qualms. I mean, as a married man, like some of the shit they were saying was was hilarious. Like when they were talking about why they don't, they're not interested in marriage or kids. I was like, I, I get it. Like there's there's challenges that you know if if you're both on board, I get not one to sign up for them at times. You know, like um, happily married. Just throw that in there. Uh, <laughs> But, but love, love you, babe. And the other part of it, there's, <laughs> there's, there's real challenges with family around the holidays. Like, there's a lot of different personalities. Like, people are like uncomfortably comfortable around you to the point where they're like more let their hair down and and more like willing to say whatever they want to say and and act however they want to act. And and there's no formality to it because it's people that you know saw you in diapers. So it's like. There's there's a different um, nature to the interaction and and it's it's just I thought they did a good job of kind of highlighting that kind of stuff in a, kind of an extreme but funny way. I will say yeah definitely watching this movie now in kind of a different lens because I've seen this movie a number of times. You know it, it's I, I love this movie. I think it's very funny. Um, there's a lot of this areas that I think this movie really shines. But now watching it under a kind of different light, trying to analyze it for. Uh, Topics on this podcast, I find it very odd now picking up on things for the first time, like the fact that since they've been together for three years, these two characters, they have never met their each other, any of each other's parents, despite living within an hour of each of them. Yeah, I also, uh, quick shout out, uh, I love the setting of this movie. <laughs> Made me homesick, even though I was about to be home. I was like... Hey, look at that Bay Area. I love. I just love shots of the bridge in movies. I feel like I've said that 
a lot on this podcast, but I think as a Bay Area transplant elsewhere, like seeing those shots of the, you know, our major city, it just feels good. I don't know. feels like home. I love it. Um, yeah, I watching it with my wife for her first time seeing it. She was like, wait, where her fam all their families just live right down the street like i don't understand like they all seem to just live in different suburbs of san francisco like they're not like i don't know although robert duval robert duval's house appears to be in like fresno or something like it's pretty rural look it looks to be honest it looks like it's shot in burbank which well, it probably on. was but we, we all know people that live over off mount hamilton that could easily be in such a rural state I mean, anyway, it just, it looks, we're not going to get too niche Bay Area right now, even though I'm pretty sure most of our listeners are there because I could see the statistics. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I just, that is a very funny point, Jeff. And I, I noticed that watching it this time too. It's just that how I genuinely kept asking, like, have, have they only been together for like a year or what? And she said, no, three. Right. Oh, okay. Well, and like the first, yeah, the, this doesn't make sense. The first, uh, <laughs> So the first, to get too specific, the first house they go to is Robert Duvall's and Robert Duvall's. I mean, it was like, hey, tiny, which I was like, oh, it's like a term of affection. Like, it feels like Robert Duvall's character has met Vince Vaughn's girlfriend before this. But everyone else specifically states, this is my first time meeting you, uh, which is strange. Maybe I, we I think just it have was in keeping with their characters saying that they didn't want to be around family. Like, I think they're, they're trying to avoid those parts of each other's lives. And it was causing some of the 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 rift that they didn't recognize until later in the movie. Right? Yeah, the friction that was there. Yeah, I, you know, also maybe, you know, who's to say that people should be introduced that as soon? You know, we have like a relatively close family, obviously. The three of us still talk like all the time and we're close with our parents or whatever. So it was not a problem to introduce our significant others to our parents. Maybe other people are not that close with their parents. Well, and you know you what? Know, so we know they're not because we see good reason for why they want to avoid showing those, that part of themselves to each other because his, the males in his family are aggressive in a nightmare. The me, female bitch. in his family, he's got a really strained relationship with him. Um, yeah. The, the mom and her side, it's just a total cougar den. And she's got a bunch of childhood trauma from there. And her dad was out of the picture for a lot of it. So it's like, it's, I think it's pretty well explained why they wouldn't really have uh, had a whole lot of connection in that three year span. I, I think it makes sense. If they were together for 10, I'd be like, all right, that's, that's a little much. But three years, I think, is, is about that time where I, I kind of, I, ex you know, I, I can accept it. Yeah. All right. Um, well, how, Brian, do you want to talk about your favorite parts of this movie and why it's such a classic for you and why you, um, why yeah. you watch it every year and wanted to choose it this time? Just purely the comedy, man. The, the jokes, the, the three, I don't really care about the John Voight part of the movie where, you know, it's like all feel good, them kissing and making up and want to get married at the end, spoiler, but, um, the, the first three houses, man, it's, it is just nothing but laughs. Like when, when he's at his dad's and the kid's like, Google me, bitch. I've been quoting that for over a decade now. <laughs> it is like, I love that shit. Like it is very funny. Um, when he's up on the roof and they're like, oh yeah, sorry. I didn't get a, you know, a degree in satellite dish installation. And he's like, oh yeah, go ahead. Make fun of me for being educated. That's real cool. <laughs> Just, it hits my funny bone every time. When they go to 
his mom's and he is just so <laughs> jaded and pissed about her relationship with his former best friend. The moment he calls her a cradle robber, I lose my shit every time. Um, and then when they go to the mom's, just actually pretty much that entire scene at the church with the performance on stage just is I, I've been quoting it for the last few days. Like I keep calling Anna unfit mother. Give me that child. Cause it is just, it just hits me right in the, the, the funny bone, man. I, oh I yeah. Know, something about this movie. That just Watching that scene as a new father was a problem for my wife who is a new mother because I have been saying that kind of stuff to her all week too. Swaddle that baby. <laughs> yeah. Dude. So um, the kid who jumps on Vince Vaughn and beats the shit out of him and says, Google me, bitch. Uh, do you guys recognize him? I recognize him from the vacation. Now that you pointed out, is it? Uh... He's in vacation. He was yeah, in... yeah, yeah, yeah. The dorky older brother or whatever, yep. right? Yeah, he's in the Righteous Gemstones. He's yeah, been that's in a right. lot of stuff. Um, yeah, that guy's good. That's yeah, so yeah funny. watching it, I was like, holy shit, that kid's been doing comedy forever. He's, Where in the hell did you find an Xbox for under ten dollars? He's, <laughs> Dude, he's Tim McGraw's great in that. Yeah, what a I, watching it. I was like, is that Tim McGraw and John Favreau? Like, what an amazingly random pair for his brothers. Yeah. And then they played like the goofiest like UFC cage fighter characters. Oh man, Very oh funny. man, the way he, like when they're playing uh, Taboo or whatever, and he's just like flip the tube. Flip the tube. I, I say that shit every time I play that game now because yeah. it's so funny. I will say, I think the concept of a character, like the actor that plays Vince Vaughn's stepfather in this role, was probably so excited when he read the script of being like, wait, so I'm his same age as him and I get to treat him like a child? Like, that would be a dream role for any actor because that would be so funny to just it was pretend so to be yeah. someone's stepfather at that the same is... age. Like, I, I can only imagine. That is also such a good rollout of like the setting where they get there and he's like kind of weird and anxious around his mom. And then the stepdad comes in and starts treating him like that. And you're like, well, this guy's really young. This is weird. And then they further add a layer in where they grew up and were best friends. (laughs) You were my best friend. We grew up together. (laughs) (laughs) That is, I had forgotten that that's the way it plays out. And I blew up when he's like, you were my friend. Ooh, this is what you dripped on me. Oh, wax. No, 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 no. <laughs> after the wax. And he's like, please make this stuff. <laughs> please stop. Please, the please chocolate. Stop. No. After the wax and before the chocolate. <laughs> Dude. And then oh, my sy- God. Oh, syrup. Wouldn't recommend it, buddy. Very sticky. Way sticky, dude. Yeah. <laughs> dude, he's talking about his mom, bro. I promise um, you, I never had a sexual thought about your mother until I was 30 years old. <laughs> and to be fair, so watching this film for the first time, was the first time that I actually got frustrated from like watching Vince Vaughn. I was like empathizing with Vince Vaughn as he was trying to play the game with his girlfriend and his During girlfriend taboo? was just yeah. so terrible at it. Like watching this she before, telling a story about Cabo. Like, <laughs> and he's there, like trying to guess so that she gets to the end of the story. Like, Sand, hot, hot, sunburn, sunburn, sunscreen. Yeah. sunscreen. <laughs> he's just saying random shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so I'm going to say this, I, and I love this movie. I'm the one that recommended it. The one shot I'll take at it is, I don't think Reese Witherspoon added much to the to the movie. 
I think they could have had somebody funnier in there and, and got every bit of value that she provided and maybe added a little something else, but she also didn't take away from the movie. So, uh, yeah, I'm not too chuffed well, about it. I just, now that I think about it, she just, she was just kind of a nothing character I'll, for the most part. I'll hit you with fun facts. They give her a lot to do. And they also really leaned heavily on Vince Vaughn for the comedy. So her real only comedy bit is when she's chasing the kids through the jump house yeah. for the, uh, pregnancy test. Otherwise she doesn't, they really leaned heavily on, and I think that that's just poor writing. I also don't think Reese Witherspoon is that funny. I don't know why she was like in every rom-com and comedy in the ni- late 90s, early 2000s. Don't get it, but, you know, whatever. It worked. She's very wealthy and successful, so, so who am I to say? I'll hit, you with fun you fact, I'll hit you with fun fact number two, which is, um, so, so Vince Vaughn is friends with the director. He specifically loved this role based on the, the film that the director had previously done, but he and- Wait what movie it was i just looked this guy up so it was the king kong documentary no king kong fistful of quarters one of the best documentaries of all time i was like no shit this is the guy who directed that documentary and vince vaughn's stepbrother i'm not gonna go into it but everybody should watch this documentary it's absolutely incredible sorry what and Vince Vaughn's stepbrother or stepfather in this film plays one of the main roles in that documentary when they do some of the reenactments um yeah, that's cool. On top of that, uh, so Reese Witherspoon does not like ad-libbing. She doesn't like that style of performance. She loves going through and following the script of the letter and kind of deriving what the direction that the director is trying to input on them through the script and then following that through and committing to that character. And Vince Vaughn refused to show up and like practice his lines because he was like, no, we're supposed to show up and like discover the direction of the scene while we're doing it and take it three or four different times, take it three or four different directions and then end up with three radically different takes that the director then chooses which which one he wants to move forward with. And Reese Witherspoon hated that. And so there's a ton of tension on set that leaked into the press that eventually made Vince Vaughn not go on the press tour to support this movie because he didn't want to feed into the rumors. That's so interesting. So he and Reese Witherspoon had an antagonistic relationship on set. Correct. That is, I mean... I get it. I I think that if you're that type of actor, uh, that she, you know the type of actor that she is, just the way that you laid it out. I mean, it makes sense that you're not going to jive well with someone who's coming in like Vince Vaughn is such an improvisational comedian, mm-hmm. and she's so by the letters. I mean, those two are not going to work very well, right? So that makes sense. Um, cool. Well, do we have any other thoughts, or did we have like a topic that we wanted to go off on this? I, one, my one question is going to be uh, which house. Which fa- part of the family, which visit do you think was the most embarrassing and why? Uh, embarrassing? Or, I think- yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll ask a couple questions. Like, most embarrassing, also, uh, you know, which one was the funniest? You know, like I, I guess in general, just unpack it. Like, which one stood out to you the most? So, I'll go first here. Most embarrassing is definitely Vince Vaughn being beat up by a child in front of his, <laughs> his girlfriend. <laughs> that is very funny, but also just no, like... Wait, if you amazing. get hurt, man, I'm going to lose custody again. <laughs> And yeah. he just taps a bit anyway. Also, uh, a lot of the the jokes I think about come from that scene. Like, what what does he say to Vince Vaughn? Where he's like, uh, calls him Georgia or something like that. For some Orlando, reason? no, the kid when he's beating him up and he calls him Barbara. Oh, he says, uh, Barbara. Yeah, might want to look me up sometime, Barbara. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that and the Google me bitch uh, are the lines that have stuck with me the most through throughout watching this movie but watching it this time i was in i was just like 
crying during the the scene at Sissy Spacek's house, Vince Vaughn's mom. Uh, that had me rolling all over the place. It was so funny to me. Just like it's just all just the setup is very funny. The way that they unveil the information is very funny to me. Oh man. Um, yeah, so those are my two. I really think the movie loses steam in the Reese, in the Reese Witherspoon focus parts, although the play is very funny. But again, that that's that's also very that's more Vince fun. Vaughn. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, Jeff, what do you got? I mean, all three of the first houses are very, very traumatic for different reasons. Um, I didn't care much for the, the traumatic. The, the, that's the, a good way to put it. The second house, um, watching it this time with my girlfriend. She had a much different appearance of the second house where she was like, oh, the second house was way worse than the first one. And I was like, well, the first one was physically assaulted by by grown men. <laughs> like, that's horrible. Um, but no, it's like different perspectives. So I, I can see why they put in the second house there and why it might appeal to a different audience than uh, the demographics that we have represented here on this podcast. Um, that being said, uh, the demo. The- I get it. You think we're sexist for not having a sister? Uh No. Uh, we do have we a can invite our wives on, and you, you know, it'd be an interesting Kelly, be an interesting experience. Get Kelly on, get Amber on, see what they have to say. <laughs> this this podcast hard enough to get a word in edgewise with me just hogging up all the air and never shutting up. How are you? Who's Amber? Putting them in. Anna. Oh, I thought you said Anna. Amber. Anyways, um, so so which which house? I, I'm not hearing a direct answer from either of you. I mean, the, which one's the most traumatic? The first house, the, most the first house for sure, as far as the the house that I'd want to visit the least. Yeah, yeah, Fresno. I don't know if that was shot in Fresno or supposed to be Fresno, but yeah, I don't want to go to back. To so that's that's interesting because if if it, okay, so if we ask it in the terms of what house you want to visit the least, I would argue it's oh. the the uh, Vince Vaughn's mom's house. Yeah, hell yeah, it's There's so no awkward way. and uncomfortable. It was horrible. Are the you whole kidding time. me? If our mom, if our mom, if our parents got divorced and our mom started dating any one of our three friends, Completely any one of us, yeah. I would be, I would, not I would be able never to talk, to her, talk to her again. I don't think. <laughs> I, don't, I would have a very difficult time unpacking that. I would, be, I would really struggle with that. I would be, we would Dude. be. <laughs> and you can just feel it. The moment he's in there, he's not happy. Look, love is love, and you gotta love who you love, and the heart wants it. Who the heart wants, but your heart better not want any of my friends' mom because you know, that's the, not the, acceptable. The funny thing is, now that I'm thinking about it, he gets closure with his dad, and she gets closure with both of her parents. At the end, no, there, there, there's nothing that gets wrapped up with his mom that is still yeah, a problem. That is interesting because he also went off and lived with his mom while his brother stayed with the dad, right? So, like, he should be most betra- feel most betrayed by his mom, having been raised by her and had this close relationship Which with her, and see, then her to do that. Yeah, it, he should. That should be the one that he was seeking closure and not the but, one. Yeah. That, but they father, don't. But. They don't uh, unpack it at all. They just have a traumatic moment at the house and then they leave and you just never get anything else (laughs) oh my gosh um okay brian well what i'm gonna put it to you which one would you least i guess you are you it's gotta be that one yeah it's it's the one with the like i could just feel it the whole time he was in there like like this is a completely unacceptable situation i can't be in here you know and like he does the in my opinion an admirable job you know considering the circumstances i mean he's he, he isn't uh you know he isn't behaving great, but at the same time, how could you expect him to in that situation? The guy's offering to get his gas money and calling him kid and stuff. And like, it's like, I'm going to no, kill you, you. You don't need to get my gas money. I make significantly more money than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd love to get your gas money. Like, yeah. 
please Give me let me get your freaking break drive all the way out here <laughs> like like i just i think that was the one that's like you could just f- cut the tension with a knife the, the other one with his dad like i think going in you just know that your family yeah, that part of your family is just a little bit more roughneck and you know you just kind of like obviously the physical assault part's pretty extreme but you know i think putting that aside uh, you know i'll take that brief moment over the permanent mental trauma that your mom's given you any day of the week uh you know and the cougar den is is you know no one's getting hurt there it's just funny yeah for sure um denver dallas and orlando brian did you ever when you were naming your daughter did you ever consider naming her after the city of conception yeah vancouver (laughs) 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 <laughs> this is my daughter vancouver for obvious reasons <laughs> Van. <laughs> um i do quickly want to say seth gordon uh is relatively prolific in like things that i love i i didn't know this about him but yeah first of all king king of kong fistful of quarters i highly recommend everybody everybody watch this even if you don't like documentaries it is very good um Four Christmases comes directly after that the next year, which is very impressive. Um, then he directs some, some Parks and Rec, some Communities, The Office, Modern Family. He does a documentary of Freakonomics, which is based on Alan Greenspan's uh, book on economics, which is a very good book. Then he directs Horrible Bosses. He directs Identity Thief. And then a bunch of TV shows that I've never heard of. I mean, the guy's done some pretty good stuff. And then he's also most recently... He was on uh, For All Mankind uh, on two episodes, which is, Brian, I think, isn't that your favorite TV show? Um, I really like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So he, this guy's, uh, he's good. I, I like this Seth Gordon guy. I'm going to be paying attention to him more. Um, I will say he, did he direct Pixels or just, it looks like he didn't direct it, but produced it. And that movie is not good. So, um, yeah. Anyway. Cool. Uh, are we wrapping it up there? Do we have anything else that we want to say? Jeff, did you have one last fun fact to send us away on? Uh, are we ready to move on? I'll give you one more fun fact. John Favreau played uh, a character in one episode of Friends in which he dates Monica and he's playing a millionaire oh, yeah. who breaks up. Or she breaks up with him after he Pete. announces that he wants to quit his business and become an ultimate cage fighter. And in this movie, he plays a yeah, UFC fighter. It's the... F- it's the first time that I'd ever heard anyone talk about the UFC. I was like, I don't know what the UFC is. Um, and he's in way more than one episode. Pete, wait, 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 wait. They date for like wait. half a season. You're saying in Friends? Yeah. Yeah, he's in so, Friends. So, yeah, I remember. Doesn't it play out that he gets into a couple of the yeah, like he, his there's matches? Like, there's, in one episode, he is a UFC fighter. And he gets his ass kicked or something, right? Yeah, over, like, yeah, in three different Repeatedly. fights. Yeah, 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 In, like, three different fights, he gets beat so, up. So, is it implying that it's the same character or something? Don't think so. No, he's just, they're just saying yeah, it's Yeah, you get too much information about him for it to be, yeah. But that's that's super funny. I will say. In Friends, he's, like, a billionaire. Right, right, that's right. That's coming back to me now. Yeah, Last Pete. fun fact, during one of the dinner sequences, Reese Witherspoon was actually hit in the face with a ceramic plate that required five stitches and only delayed shooting for three days. <laughs> and then you find out that Vince Vaughn was on the other side of that ceramic plate. <laughs> He's like, going to make me come in and practice lines. I'll show you. Um, they also cool. cut uh, a sex scene due to at Reese Witherspoon's insistence. 
<laughs> Interesting. I mean, I, I mean, they hint at it in the first scene that they're banging in the bathroom. That's good enough for this movie. I don't know why they need more than that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's also interesting to me that after the movie The Breakup, Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston dated, but he couldn't he couldn't make it happen with Bruce uh, Willis. Couldn't get her to date him. Then he would have actually had, because, uh, and then all he, all he would have to do is date Christina Applegate, and then he would have dated Rachel Green and both of her sisters. Another friend's reference, because Reese Witherspoon plays mm. uh, one of Rachel's sisters in an early season. Um, okay. Are we mo- are we good to move on, Brian? To, yep, I think uh, so. I think, Knives yeah. Out? Yep. Cool. So, uh, Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, released on Netflix uh, on Christmas Day. Um, uh, 2022, directed by Ryan Johnson, written by Ryan Johnson, starring Daniel Ryan Craig, Johnson, <laughs> Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista, Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Jessica Henwick. Uh, who else shows up in this movie? Ethan Hawke, Hugh Grant. These are just some cameos off the top of my head. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar yeah. is in it. <laughs> oh, dude. Ethan Hawke and Kareem. It was so weird. Both of those. Natasha Leone, Serena Williams is in the background yeah, of a scene. what the hell? <laughs> I was like, what is going on right now? There's so many cameos in this movie. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's more that will pop up in the back of my head uh, as we go along. But yeah, just blew my mind all the different cameos. Um yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to have to do a non-spoilers for this one since this one just came out. So I will say, um, coming off the heels of the first Knives Out movie, um, I really liked that movie quite a lot. Uh, I think we did a review of it when it first came out. I think we were doing the podcast when that came out. I can't remember. Um, but I really, really liked that movie a lot. Uh, I thought it was a very solid mystery. Uh you know, detective sort of Agatha Christie um, thing. And uh, I was really excited for this movie. And while I don't think that it dropped the ball completely, it doesn't quite live up to the predecessor. In my opinion, it's, it is a very good movie, but, and I, and I would recommend people watch it, but I felt that the mystery was more formulaic. I saw a lot of different bits coming. Um, Whereas in the first one, I didn't like, I was surprised at pretty much every twist. This one, I was just kind of like, yeah, I saw that coming. I got pretty much called everything the first time I watched it. Um, so yeah, but also I think that Ryan Johnson said that that's what was happening the whole movie. You know, he kept saying, well, whatever, we'll get there. Um, yeah. So I, I, I recommend it. I liked it a lot. I just, I would put the, the first one as like a, B plus a minus and I would put this one like a B minus. So not like didn't completely miss it, but just like, you know, a full step down. So, uh, yeah, pass it off to Brian. Yeah. I think, I think a B minus is a pretty fair grade. Um, I think, let me, let me lead off by saying it's worth watching. So I recommend you go watch it. I thought it was entertaining. Um, I also do feel like it's the kind the exact kind of movie that'll get more hype than it deserves. Um, just based on, you know, name recognition of the actors and uh, the success of the first one and how they're kind of building it up into this kind of, you know, thing that like star set of casts partake in. And I, I, I don't know, I, I just the vibe I was get from it was like, oh, this is like, a you know, 
a blockbuster that, you know, everyone's going to love. And, and then I thought it was, you know, I thought it was pretty good. So um, I'll leave it there until we can get into spoilers. Jeff? Yeah, um, I don't have a problem with that grading. I mean, I would say yeah, B, B minus, B, B plus, I mean, somewhere in that range. Uh, I'd probably give it a B, to be honest. I, I enjoyed this movie. There's a lot of it that I liked. I mean, um, it was well written enough that I couldn't tell what was going to happen. And uh, I enjoy a good mystery. And it was it was a lot of fun to watch. I enjoyed all the different performances. Uh, yeah, I'd give it a solid B. Um. Brian, what is, uh, what is Rotten Tomatoes saying about this movie? Oh, let me pull up that screen. Okay, while you're pulling that up, uh, I do want to say it came out on a $40 million budget. So half the half the budget wow. of Four Christmases. Fascinating. Actually, yeah, very, very fascinating. All right, now I'd love to see where the budget went to Four Christmases because that doesn't make sense. It's a bigger cast, <laughs> that more shit in the scenes. I don't know. Uh, um, and I will say that well, it's kind of hard to gauge its box office on this one. So I can't really say because it was only out for like a month or like, you know, two weeks or something like that uh, before they, they moved it to Netflix. So um, its box office is going to be less than its its budget, but that's because it's, it's Netflix. So they pretty much only made sure to release it in theaters so that it can be eligible for Oscar contention because it has to be in theaters for at least a at least a week i think to be eligible so um that's why they did it that way hmm. so there you go um sorry you have the rotten tomatoes up? rt scores 94 percent on the tomato meter on 347 critic reviews certified so that, fresh that just means that 94 percent of critics said it was good it was not bad right, right. like that's a high number though uh and yeah, 93 percent audience score on over 500 reviews. It doesn't say how many. That's interesting. I mean, yeah, I would say, yeah, it's a good movie. It's not bad at all um, by any means. So, just, so can we get into spoilers a little bit? Yeah, we're just going to do full spoilers for Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery and just full spoilers for anything. We're sorry if we spoil something that we don't tell you we're going to spoil, but there's a good chance it's going to happen. So good luck. We are literally um, going to talk about what you're getting for your next birthday. So... What you got for Christmas? We spoiled it last week, so listen back to that episode and tell us if we how we did. Um, spoilers, 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 spoilers. Yeah. So, Brian, go ahead. Okay. What, what's your thought? The first movie, I remember watching it and thinking, "Wow, I feel like the reveal came too fast. Like, I feel like I didn't have enough time to like try to piece anything together." And honestly, looking back, I don't even know if we had enough information to try to solve the mystery in the first one. Like, I think it just kind of gave it to you. Um. That at least that's the impression I remember walking away with. Maybe that would deserve a rewatch. But uh, this one, I almost felt like everything was like, uh, well, not everything. So I didn't see the the twin sister coming. Um, no, it, you know, and some of the plot twists. But uh, f the moment I saw Edward Norton, I was like, cool, this is the bad guy in the movie. Like, and I had zero doubt throughout the whole thing. There was nothing that he was doing that told me anything other than this guy's like not to be trusted and he's crooked in some way. And, you know, for that to end up being true, I was just kind of like, man, it just feels like that alone takes away from the quality of the movie. Because I, from the get go, I'm staring at this guy in a mystery and knowing that he's, you know, 
going to be the big bad. It, it was just kind of, I didn't know why yet, but just, I don't know. There was just something about him that was just striking me as like, this guy's very clearly going to be the bad guy. I mean, then he's like, oh, we're, like we're going to solve my mystery. And I'm like, okay, maybe there's a small chance that he ends up dead, but more likely than not, like it's going to be something, some kind of bait and switch where, you know, he's the bad guy behind the scenes, but someone else ends up dying. And then sure enough, you know. That's what happened. So I don't know. Yeah. I felt like that kind of detracted from it a little bit. Like the moment I saw Edward Norton on screen, I was like, cool, this guy's the big bad. And and then for that to be, you know, it just made it feel kind of predictable in that way. Sure. Yeah. I, I, you can't, I can't deny that. That's 100% how I felt too. As soon as he shows up. Well, first of all, I knew he was in it and I knew that he was playing the character that invites him all to the Island and was some billionaire. Um, and that in our con- current climate you know is already kind of grounds for a villain turn right um and uh also just knowing like how agatha christie stuff worked you know as soon as you see him as the bad guy you're like okay that kind of makes sense um and so because of that because he was so highlighted as the villain i was watching every single thing he did throughout the movie and some of the clues that are revealed later in the movie, I spotted instantly because I was watching him so closely to try to figure it out because it's a mystery and I want to figure it out, you know? And so the puzzle pieces all fell into p- place before full spoilers, right? We're in full spoilers before Andy is shot. Um, I already knew that he had the gun and that he had the phone in his pocket, which made me think that he's the one that killed Dave Batista. And then I just had to, I just didn't have all the pieces as to why. Um, and yeah, and it wasn't as interesting. And then, yeah. And then the real one was the, you know, and they do it in halfway through where they're like, okay, uh, the real mystery is how, who killed Andy, you know? And I was sort of like, well, it's obviously um, Edward Norton or he had one of the other ones kill him. And then when they basically pointed out that that was impossible, then. Okay, cool. Well, then I already knew Edward Norton was a bad guy, right? Yeah, it, um, from from the get. Like, as soon as she gets shot, and then, like, I was like, it's got to be Norton. Like, it just didn't, I don't know. I, I was just operating with zero doubt, and for that to get confirmed, I was kind of disappointed to not be wrong, it, you know, because it just made it feel super predictable. Yeah. Um, I do like that he, you know, Ryan Johnson's whole thing is subversion, right? Um, sorry, Jeff, I, I haven't heard... Did you have thoughts on any of that? Like, were you also kind of like, did you catch on really early or did you have? Um, you know, I, I definitely, as we learned a lot about the different characters, there was definitely a level of motive that each character had, but each one of them had like a surface level motive where they're like, yeah, I benefit from this person's death. Only one person really would have wanted them dead um, was kind of the sense that I got. So before they made the reveal, my prediction was Edward Norton and that turned out to be true. So I agree with you guys that this one was a little bit less of a mystery. Um, I will say I do enjoy what I've been calling the knives out formula in which they have an initial murder and then they, they reveal, or at least the detective is aware of the initial murder. He's aware that there is a death and you are aware of all of the facts leading up to that person's death. And then it becomes kind of in a retrospective mystery of, you know, why would, why did this happen or who's next? Um, and they did the same thing with this, right? In the first one, it's a man slits his own throat. The housekeeper was obviously there. And uh, he finds out about that, you know, after the first act. The, the detective shows up on scene, 
finds pressures the housekeeper and and finds out uh, or the, the caretaker gets all of the information from her about what really happened and then becomes about trying to protect her from whoever the true murderer was um this one is very similar in that uh you go through the first act believing one thing and then you actually witness all of the different murders you know between andy getting shot between uh the twin sister originally showing up at the doorstep, finding her dead twin sister and then hiring uh, Benoit Blanc. All of that being revealed. I liked that they kept that same formula of the detective knows a lot more of what's going on than what you're initially shown. And the, it's definitely just not a standard kind of uh, mystery format that I appreciate. I will say the first one is like clearly through Anna de Armas's point of view, right? And so there is more of a mystery because she's not a detective. And so what you're given is like what Benoit Blanc gives her, right? Whereas this one is like 75% of the movie is from his point of view. And I almost feel like that made it less interesting because he knows like the character that you're following knows so much and is so ahead of everybody else. It was almost not interesting. Like in, in Sherlock Holmes novels and short stories you're seeing everything filtered through john watson's lens right um in uh agatha christie's uh hercule Poirot stuff which this leans more a little bit more heavily into um he uh it is still through hercule Poirot's lens but it's more of a third person like it's uh, it's kind of hard to describe but he is still our kind of point of view character and i kind i think there's a reason i liked sherlock holmes more than i liked agatha christie's stuff um at any rate i do think that that's interesting that they made that shift because it i almost felt like it made the movie less enticing i do like what you're saying where it's like oh yeah there's there's this initial mystery but that's not the real mystery right, right. like in the first one brian what you're talking about like when it shows that they give you that reveal of the guy killed himself well, that's not the real mystery, right? The real mystery is like which of them caused him to do that or whatever, right? Right. right. And that's when we, that's really where it starts getting twisty. And I think that that was really successful. I think this one was less successful in the twistiness because it was so clear the whole time that Edward Norton was our villain, right? I think that that's the part I really struggled with, at least. Um, I will say that Ryan Johnson throughout the whole movie is telling you also. No, this is this is easy. You know, like the whole idea of the glass onion, Hercule Poirot brings up the the metaphor initially that um is like it looks complex or it would it seems complex, but you can see through to the center the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like from the beginning, you can see right through the middle. And like that's the metaphor for this movie is like I'm making it look complex, but what you first thought is probably the answer. Right. And that's what him saying that, knowing me knowing how Ryan Johnson writes the way that he writes his scripts is he's talking to the audience directly. Um, I've talked about this a lot specifically go find anytime I've talked about the last Jedi. Um, when he writes his scripts, he talks to the audience through his characters. And so I knew that Benoit Blanc saying that was him telling us, yeah, don't think too hard. It's right there. Like the answer is right in front of you. Um, one thing I did like in this is that he has all of the clues from the beginning like you have all of the information from the beginning so you can you can pick up everything right like he did a very good job of i think in a lot of mysteries it's kind of like well how did they how could hercule Poirot have known that right like that doesn't make sense right in this one 
you see Edward Norton uh, hug Dave Batista, and then when they separate, you see him put like reach into his back, back behind himself, and put something in his back. And I was like, okay, what did he take from that guy? Oh, it's probably his gun, because what else would you put in your back pocket or whatever, right? Um, after Dave Batista dies and Benoit Blanc goes to look for his phone, uh, you see Edward Norton run away at one point, and you can see the black phone in his back pocket right there as he's running away. So you know that he now has the phone. Um, when he initially sits down, it really is him handing Dave Batista the glass, right? Like it, it, and then when he tells everybody what what happened afterwards, he puts the glass down and Dave Batista picks it up. And I was like, well, that's not what it just showed. That's weird. And that also made me realize that that was false, right? So if you're paying close attention, you can actually solve the mystery along with Benoit Blanc, which I actually liked, but also felt a little simplistic, which I think, Brian, that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, I <clears throat> just in general, I thought it was too predictable. Um, that doesn't mean it's not a good movie. It's just very uh, enjoyable the way it all played out. I think yeah, it was still, and like the still was well made for sure. Watching it as a performance piece, I thought every single person brought something different to it. I like that each character was like wholly independent of any of the other characters. Like none of them really felt like they were treading common ground or anything like that. They were all really inhabiting their own individualistic spaces. Um, real testament to all the actors that they were able to bring, you know, something new and sort of fresh to this genre. I thought, uh, I really liked that. And I thought Janelle Monet, uh, you know, really did a good job as a, in a dual role. Um, so yeah, hats off to her. I thought she did a really good job. Um, uh, can I, can I just ask you guys just because a quick aside, you keep mentioning, uh, Agatha Christie, Hercule Perot movies. Have you guys seen both of those? Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't like really either of them. If I'm okay, honest. I was going to ask how, just in general, how you think they stack up because it feels like they're kind of all just being made to try to capture people's interest in this specific genre right now. So I'm just curious. You, you think these are better than the Hercule Poirot ones? I I do for sure. Jeff, you you liked the Death on the Nile quite a lot, right? Uh, and not, uh, Murder on the Orient. I Express. liked Murder on the Orient Express a lot. I did not like Death on the Nile as much. Um, it was mm. it was good, but you could tell they definitely just butchered that movie uh in on the editing floor uh with all the controversy that came out around the film prior to its release and with army hammer yeah. oh army right. hammer yeah um i see brian's face kind of like what Dude. <laughs> um yeah i i thought murder on the orient express was fine it visually very beautiful um you can tell that kenneth Branagh cares a lot about the character and i think that the mustache is undeniably uh impressive um, I think that Ken this I, accents better than uh, Daniel Craig's. <laughs> okay, so in this, well, so just to finish off my prior thought, and then I'll jump into that. I think that the death on the Nile was like almost uh, overindulgent. Like it wasn't. It was like, look how beautiful I can shoot this movie, and it was just sort of like, yeah, but this story sucks. <laughs> this is not good. Um, and I think that uh, I do think that his Belgian accent is pretty good. I do think that Benoit Blanc's, I think it's supposed to be New Orleans. Uh, I was about like, to say, it sounds something Southern. I, I don't know. It's definitely Southern, but he's like playing like a like a Southern lawyer from like a cartoon or something. It, it's ridiculous. And in the first one- sounds like Foghorn like Leghorn. It, that, he does sound like Foghorn Leghorn. In the first one, I thought he was, it, it, it was not as bad. This one, I was like, wow, he is, yeah. he really needed to practice this a little bit more because this is not working for me. This accent does not sound good. Um, All right, put put Hercule Poirot 
and Benoit Blanc in the same murder mystery. Who solves it faster? Uh, probably Her- Hercule Poirot, just because Agatha Christie basically wrote him as a superhero. Like he could just like he just knew everything the same way that Sherlock Holmes does, right? Like he just like, all right. He put knows. the three of them in a room. <laughs> 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 Gotta go, Sherlock. Gotta be Sherlock. I'm biased. I like I'm looking right now. I have a whole row on my library that's just like like Sherlock Holmes, like the the original three novels, a collection of all the short stories by Conan Doyle, and then another collection of so- short stories by like a lot of other people. I just I have like. Yeah, I just have I have a lot of Sherlock Holmes. All right, stuff. now throw Big Batman fan, in so. the mix, the greatest Bat- detective. Bat- <laughs> Batman, but no physical uh, fighting. No, I did watch. I did watch a review um, after the move after I watched the movie the next morning, and um, they kind of talked about Easter eggs. And uh, one of the Easter eggs that was in it that I liked is after he says, uh, "I'm not Batman." He's like, "I can't." You know, all I can do is just like present the facts as I know them to like, I'm still beholden to the law. Um, I'm not Batman. And uh, when he says that they in this, the score is playing, they do the Danny Elfman, Batman, 89 Batman theme. Very funny. Uh, underneath. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. I didn't catch that. That I like that a lot. Um, so yeah, there's a Batman reference in there. Cool. Uh, well, did we have any other any other thoughts on the movie? I mean, it's really fresh in my mind, so I'm kind of trying to go off top. I didn't take notes because I watched this with my parents. Um, so, I, you know, kind of watched it with them. Your parents, but huh? Any final thoughts with you? You got some new ones? Our parents. Sorry. So, sorry, I forgot I was talking to you guys. <laughs> um, our parents. The three of us all have the same parents. Um, yeah. Uh, any any other thoughts, Jeff? You have four, any fun facts I on this movie? I know it just came out. Do so. have a couple of fun facts? Uh, so the inspiration for this film, for this story specifically, comes from so he filmed Knives Out. He signed up for the contract to make two more through Netflix specifically, Ryan Johnson, mm-hmm. and said, "I want the second film to be as tonally and visually different as I can from this first film." And he's like, "Okay, I'm like he sat down, wrote down a couple different." destinations or settings for the thing and he settled on tropical murder mystery went through and researched tropical murder mysteries and ended up watching one called the last sheila which the overall premise is uh a group of friends each receive an invitation to come and play a murder mystery on an exotic location uh, on a yacht and everything goes horribly wrong and he's like I, so he took that exact same premise and said and wrote a film differently set it for modern day without any taking of the rest of the, the events of that film. So inspired directly from a movie called The Last of Sheila, if you want to see the inspiration for this film, go watch that one. Um, oh, I thought you said it was a book. Did you not say it was a sorry, book? Sorry, it was a film. I, cause I think, uh, okay, I think I've seen that movie. Hmm. Huh, interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, as far as surprise cameos go, uh, there's two different actors in this film in which this was their final role. So Angela Lansbury, uh, appears on a video call with Craig and oh. Benoit Blanc playing um, Among Us. Among Us. Oh, that's uh, Murder, She Wrote. So this is uh, in her final posthumous role. And then also Stephen Sondheim was also on that same uh, posthumous call. So two of the four people that were on that call are now dead. Uh, Sondheim, uh, Sweeney Todd. He wrote Sweeney Todd. He's a musical writer. I don't like his musicals that much, but he's, you know, for, for people who do like it, he's quite a big name and he has a lot of success. I do like Sweeney Todd quite a lot, but that's more the gothic setting than anything. Anyway, uh, the voice of the clock. Do you guys know who it is? 
Uh, I bet it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. I think I saw something about that. I feel like that was I knew that answer. He, he was in Brick and then also Looper, which are both directed by Ryan Johnson and has cameoed in all of his movies. I actually didn't catch that, but I believe you. I believe that that's true. I did uh, like that bit. I, I had Phil Glass compose that. It's just a guy saying dog. He paid Phil Glass to do it. Uh, as far as um, uh, Ethan Hawke's role in this film, he did it uh, just as a fun cameo because he was already near the location filming for uh, Moon Knight. So he just hopped over and, and filmed it as a Wait, where did they director. film Moon Knight? Uh I mean, I guess it looks Eastern European, but I just didn't really think about they, it. They were, so he just randomly showed up on set to shoot that scene for a day? Like, yeah, I mean, he was talking to the director, I think, and was like, hey, I'm going to be nearby. I'm happy to take a day and go film a quick scene for you because I'd love to be part of this. And, and the Serena Williams one was so weird to me. I'm like, wait, is it implying that he's so rich that he pays Serena to be on retainer in his yeah. little workout mirror? Like, I, I believe so. Yeah, I can't. I, I is... refuse to believe that somebody of her prestige like would sit there all day waiting for somebody to want to work out in the mirror like this. Oh well, she. How wouldn't. much did you have to pay her? You know, she wouldn't. But that is a very funny concept, in my yeah. opinion. I was is like, he kind of threw me off for a second. I was just like, wait, is it implying something, or am I missing something here? I, I'm like, it's like a crazy AI mirror that has Serena on it, or something. I, I, like, it took me a minute to like wrap my head around the, what it was implying there. Uh, and then the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar one as well. When I saw that call and he was on it, I was like, is that Kareem? And I was like, I don't have my glasses. Can you tell me? If this? And my wife's like, I have no idea what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar looks like. I was like, and then it zoomed in and I was like, that is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I don't understand why oh, yeah. he's on here. The only other person we didn't talk about on that call is Natasha Leone is in it. And she's going to be in a Ryan Johnson TV series coming out soon like a, a mystery tv series uh, apparently he's no lo- i don't know i don't know what's going on but he was supposed to be doing a, a star wars trilogy that was like set outside of the skywalker saga uh they i've not heard whether that got canceled i would assume it got quietly canceled is that because separate from the, the trilogy reception. that the uh the D was oh, canceled yeah that's fully canceled. like it just I, feels I, like the star wars trilogies the, the star wars the future of the star wars franchise is a little cursed right now yeah, well, they're doing the DC model where they're just throwing everything at the wall and then canceling all of it. <laughs> and putting out fantastic television shows along the way. Yeah, that wow. That is exactly what DC's been doing, except for the Titans kind of stuff. Animated. But. I'll say DC's been putting out an animated. That's that's the similarities. Is the, anima- the DC animated universe is just solid. Yeah. Um, cool. Did we have any uh, any last? One more fun fact. Daniel Craig completely forgot how to do the accent for this film. Yeah, I could have told you that, actually. (laughs) And so I feel like uh, I did say that recently, just a couple minutes ago. And so for four months, he worked with a uh, dialect coach in order to gain the accent back in order to make it as grounded and anchored in reality as possible. Yeah. I will say I am totally on board for another one of these. I will be there. I, I might even on the third one, I might even go see it in theaters just to, I didn't see this one because I knew it was coming to Netflix and I was like, well, why would I, I already pay for Netflix every month. Why would I give them more money? But honestly, if a third one comes out, I kind of like this theater experience, you know, I, I'll, I might go see it in that way. I, I'll, I'll say that. Um, cool. Any, uh, did we want to do a quick, uh, what's clever? Sure. To send out the year. I'll do a super fast one. Um, hit them. 
I I'm all caught up on Willow on uh, Disney Plus. I'm one episode behind, so don't okay, spoil it. Uh, no spoilers. Um, I'm I'm kind of enjoying the way they decided to attack it. It's I think the dialogue is funny. They have plenty of humor laced in, um, and I will say they've done like this. They weren't afraid to use like modern things in this movie even though it's like a fantasy you know like swords and magic uh setting Mm -hmm. like people talk in a very modern way Mm -hmm. like the kids are like oh that's really weird like words that you wouldn't hear somebody in that setting say and then they have like rock music over their fight scenes and and I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying it. I, I, I figured something like that would throw me off. And at first I was kind of questioning whether it was throwing me off. But the more I watch it, the more I've just embraced it. And I'm really enjoying it. Uh, yeah, it definitely threw me in the first episode. Sorry, Jeff. No, yeah. you're good. You're good. I, I made the I make the comparison to my friends who are interested in watching it, which I do recommend it. Um, I'm a couple episodes behind. But immediately from the first episode, my review has kind of been the same in the sense that if Rings of Power, which is a show that I highly recommend, is just a fantasy novel – Willow reads much more like youth fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it's like family fantasy. Like ring. I w- I'm not going to watch rings of power with my kid until he's like, you know, an, a grown up enough to, you know, understand it. But this, I'm like, you could throw this on for like 10 right. year olds, you know, like I, I would think, I guess there's a lot of death in it. Like weird monster men, but I don't know. I, I really like it. I think it's very, uh, I do think that the humor at first was throwing me and I was like, man, this is like very Gen Z, like TikTok humor. But like, as it's gone on, I'm like, you know what? It, it's pretty funny. I will say that the guy that they have playing the Mad Mardigan character, like, you know, filling that role, that Indian man, he is, I like him a lot. I'm like, wow, I don't know who this is, but I need to find, I need to track down some of his other stuff because he's very funny and very charming. Um, I like him quite a lot. So, uh, yeah, I... I am uh, interested to to see where the rest of the series goes, and I'm I'm excited to catch up on it. What else you got, Brian? Um, yeah, what else you got? That's it. I'm, I'll cut it short there. Jeff, um, for me, as far as anything that's new, just try, I got uh, the newest book, uh, Brandon Sanderson book that came out on Brian's birthday. Uh, it's called The Lost Metal. It's the fourth book, the final book in Mistborn Era Two, and I am I don't know quarter of the way through it something like that i just read a couple chapters every night um loving it and uh looking forward to uh to the next one as well as finishing this one all right uh my big recommendation is the banshees of Vinish sharon uh on hbo max it is a uh oh shit now i forget his name uh it's by the guy who did In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths and Three Billboards Outside of uh, Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, probably one of my favorite writers, film writer, screenwriter, directors. Um, does a lot of like low budget sort of character driven pieces. This is uh, right in that same alley. Um, it's pretty good. I wouldn't put it. I'd put it probably in my top three, but I'd have to really think about it. Um uh, it's Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson back together again after uh, in Bruges. And it's just like a very short or very, not short, but very sh- like simple character tale about two men in this remote Irish city in the 1920s during the like, you know, go- running a long slide 
um, the Irish uh, War for Independence, I believe, um, or Irish Civil War, I believe is what it was called. But anyway, um, yeah, it's it's just it's it's very good. Um, Barry Barry Kogan Kugan Kuhin, you know our boy, uh, Druid from mm-hmm. Joker Eternals. Joker number four. Yeah, our our Joker, uh, which I'm still upset about because he's just like I just give him someone better you know what i mean um anyway like him a lot he delivers a really good performance in this as uh kind of a lost boy who doesn't know what's good for him um and it's fun to watch all of these actors who always have to speak with american accents just like double down on how irish they can be and they're just all trying to out irish each other and i appreciated it (laughs) so that's my recommendation um God, I wish I could remember the writer director's name, but I cannot right now. Anyway, I, uh, yeah, so we'll wrap it up there. Uh, I will say next week we're going to do, um, our best and worst of 2022. Uh, and then after that, Brian will be picking the new topic. And I guess I'll let you just start off with the movie. So you get two movies back to back. So you'll pick the new topic that we'll be doing for the next three movies and, uh, in the movie and uh, we'll have a new name new song and uh hopefully you guys will keep recommending us thanks again for listening to us all year we appreciate it new listeners and old and uh yeah we'll see you guys next year thanks everybody bye guys